It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hi, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? In 1889, Lake Connemaw was a picturesque man-made lake in Pennsylvania, over two miles long, a mile wide, and 60 feet deep at the dam. The Pleasure Lake was created to accommodate the prestigious South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club, which included such famed entrepreneurs as Andrew Carnegie. In May of that year, several days of heavy rain created a crisis. A group of men were frantically working to reinforce the poorly built South Fork Dam holding back the lake, containing over 14 million cubic meters of water. John Park, an engineer working at the dam, had telegraphed two emergency messages of warning to nearby Johnstown, which lay downstream directly in the path of the bulging dam. His messages were sent and received, but they were never passed on because Johnstown had received so many other false alarms about a possible dam break. But then on the afternoon of May 31, it finally happened. At approximately 3.10 p.m., the South Fork Dam completely collapsed, releasing 20 million tons of liquid death. A massive 70-foot-high brown mountain of churning water with logs and debris roared like Niagara 14 miles down the Little River Valley towards the unsuspecting Johnstown. By the time the town saw the rushing wall of water, it was too late. The result? 2,208 people were swept to their deaths, making it one of the worst disasters in American history, all because an urgent warning was not passed on. Did you know the Bible talks about a time when most of the world ignored an urgent message of warning? Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. If you have a Bible question, I know there's a couple people that are holding, and we're going to get to your calls in just a moment. That phone number is 800-463-7297. That's 800-463-7297. We are also streaming. If you want to see what's happening here in the studio, then it's the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or Amazing Facts Facebook page. And you'll see uh, myself and Pastor Ross here in the studio. And I am Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross. Good evening, friends. And Pastor Doug, let's start the program with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that we have this time to open up your word and study together this evening. And as we always do, we want to ask your presence to be with us. And Lord, we pray that as we study together, we might be drawn closer to you. Be with those who are listening, wherever they might be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor, I opened the program talking about this terrible disaster that occurred back in 1889, I guess. Uh, John, Johnstown flood in Pennsylvania. Um, 
2,209 uh, is what the counties that I'm just looking at these figures here. That's a you know terrible tragedy and a high c a death toll, and yet so many more lives could have been saved had people received the warning. There was enough time, I guess, for people to escape and get to higher ground, but they ignored the warning, almost like the Titanic with mm -hmm. the icebergs. Yeah, they they probably would have had 20 minutes to get to high ground, and virtually everyone could have made it. But um, the officials that got the telegraph message said, oh, not that again. You know, we've heard them cry wolf so many times. And you can't help but wonder if uh, all of the times now in the recent years, you know, right, people are saying, oh, we've figured out the date for the second coming. And there's been so many false alarms, you might say, that to go back hundreds of years, people predicting it. And, you know, a little more recently, there have been a few personalities that predicted the... Um, second coming, and of course those predictions failed, that um, now when Christians say, you know, look at what's happening in the world. Maybe these signs are harbingers of the coming of the Lord soon. Now, no one knows exactly when. Jesus is very clear about that, that no one knows the day and the hour. But Christ did say, when you see these signs, these things begin to happen, lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. And so we can know when it's near, and that's why he gave us these signs. And he wants us to prepare and uh, to get to higher ground, you might say. And that would be the high ground of the cross. We need to make sure that we're in a saving relationship with the Lord. Because think about it, friends. This life is nothing compared to eternity. Why would you sacrifice eternal life and uh, needlessly uh, suffer the consequences in the lake of fire when you could be forgiven? This is the stakes are too high. And so I can also think about in the Bible, Jesus said his coming would be like in the days of Noah, where Noah pled with people for 120 years, but they didn't listen. And then in the days of Lot, Lot went and pled with his family and said, arise out of this place. God's going to destroy this place. And they mocked. And you wonder, is that happening again in the world? You know, we do have a book, and it's got an intriguing title. It's called The Last Night on Earth. And Pastor Doug, I was just thinking about that. One day there will be the last night on earth. And uh, what does the Bible say about the second coming of Christ? And more importantly, how can we prepare our hearts and our lives? And uh, this preparation is not gathering up food for some coming catastrophe. Rather, it's the preparation of the heart. So we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. If you'd like to get our free book tonight, it's called The Last Night on Earth. The number to call is 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. And again, ask for the book. It's called The Last Night on Earth. And if you have a Bible question, our phone line here to the studio is 800-463-7297. we got Charles listening in Florida. Charles, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Pastor Doug, Pastor Ross. Thanks for um, calling. My question is, uh, oh, like always, I've called many times before. I've got <laughs> lots of questions. Okay. Um, <laughs> my question is this. When the uh, when Satan's followers, the demons, once they seen that what uh, Satan had done by seeing Jesus crucified on the cross, is it possible that if they had repented that God would have accepted them back, or are they lost forever? You know, the Bible seems to indicate, good question, you know, uh, no one wants to think about anyone, uh, human or angel, being forever lost, and Satan's angels were deceived, 
Uh, they, I, I believe that Satan's angels had a long period of probation, just like humans do in our lives, at where uh, they saw both sides of the issue and they still kind of aligned themselves with Satan. And at some point, uh, they grieved away the Holy Spirit and they, they have committed the unpardonable sin. Now they're still alive. Uh, the Bible tells us that they are reserved in everlasting chains of darkness. And uh, even the angels, when they saw Jesus, they said, have you come to torment us before the time? They know their time is coming. Revelation 12, Satan says he knows he has a short time. They know their day of judgment is coming. Uh, but uh, I think that because they know that their destiny is fixed, that um, they're, they're just bent on taking as many with them as they can. So I don't believe there's forgiveness for the fallen angels. You know, we do have a book that talks about... Um well, we actually have several. I'm looking at one year, Pastor Doug. It's called Satan in Chains, which talks about this uh, time period that you read about in Revelation 20 where the devil is cast into the bottomless pit. Um, what is that all about? Uh, it, obviously, the angels and the devil have passed the point of, of no return. But we'll be happy to send anyone who wants to learn more about this uh, event that the Bible speaks of is happening in the future. It's called Satan in Chains. We'll be happy to send you that book. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book called Satan in Chains. We've got uh, George listening from New Jersey. George, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. How are both of you doing tonight? All right? Doing great. Thank you. Okay. I had a question about the uh, identity of those in the resurrection. How is the identity of the person retained uh, for, the, well, all of us that die and, you know, they're resurrected, uh, seeing that the dead, um, I guess, don't exist, or they're sleeping in a sense, according to Scripture. How is their identity retained? It seems like it would be difficult to have the identity retained, seeing that they're non-existent during that uh, intermediate state, and those that believe that the soul exists consciously, I think they have a better way of explaining identity, but I've never really heard it explained uh, uh, in accordance with the view that you have about uh, the dead sleeping. You see what I'm trying to get at there? The identity. Yes, I think so. You're just wondering, is there is it necessary to have a continuity of consciousness to have a continuity of identity? Is that a fair way to say it? Yep, perfect. Okay, well, if, uh, if a person goes to sleep, now, first of all, the idea of people sleeping in death, it's, it's not my belief. I think it's what Jesus said when Lazarus died. Jesus said, our friend Lazarus is asleep, and I go to wake him. And Paul, speaking of the dead, he said, you know, those that sleep in Christ shall arise. And um, again, it says, many that sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So these are, this is the terminology of the apostles and Jesus all through the New Testament. Uh, so if I go to sleep, uh, when I wake up, sometimes I might be disoriented for a few moments, but I haven't lost my identity. It, it you know, it's still there. In modern terminology, you know what I might say, George, is um, I've sometimes gone from country to country, and I have to have, you get a couple things if you run a computer. You got what they call software and hardware. Our brains you would call software. And I've got all my programs and my software. Today, it's very convenient. I can put everything, all the brains of my computer can fit on a little device as big as my fingernail. It's amazing. Little USB drive. I can go to another country and plug that into their brand new supercomputer and all my programs run. So God is giving us new bodies, but he's taking the essence of who we are. And I don't know what God's software storage looks like, but 
you know, God knows everybody. If a person, you know, is, is burnt to death and their ashes are scattered in the sea, God has no problem resurrecting them. They don't lose their identity. So whether it's a moment um, or, and for the dead, it may seem like just a moment. Um, thousand years might go by. Uh, you know, King David, it says he slept with his fathers. And Peter said, even after the resurrection, David is dead and buried. This is Acts chapter 2 and not ascended to heaven. That means from when David died, about 1,000 B.C. to today, it's about 3,000 years. But for David, it's the next thing he knows is the presence of the Lord. There's no consciousness in death. So for a believer, when they die, the next thing they know is the resurrection. And there's really no loss for them. Well, you know, we have the example in the case of Lazarus where he was dead for four days and Jesus resurrected him. And when Lazarus came from the grave, he had been dead even decay began to set in uh he knew who he was he knew who christ was so in the resurrection he was preloaded you might say with uh, all of the thoughts and the feelings and the understanding that he had prior to his death yeah and he makes no i think george there's probably 12 resurrections in the bible you could argue a couple of them and in all those stories nobody ever makes a comment about what they saw during death uh, the best we know is they were unconscious. Well, thank you. And we do have a book. If you've not seen it, it's called Are the Dead Really Dead? We'll send you a free copy of that. Anybody. The number to call is 800-835-6747. This is one of the Amazing Facts study guides. It's a great study. It's called Are the Dead Really Dead? Just ask for that, and we'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. We've got uh, Anthony listening in New York. Anthony, welcome to the program. Yes, good evening, pastors. Evening. Uh, my question is coming from John chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. Okay. Would you like me to read that for the people listening? Uh, yes, please. Okay. This is speaking of after the resurrection. And Jesus said in verse 22 of John 20, And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven of them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So my question is, uh, what is this? mean in the context of what Christ is speaking? And then can someone try, what if somebody were to try to use this to justify uh, indulgences or something like that, or just showing that the church has the ability to forgive or say somebody's sins are forgiven or not forgiven or something like that? What, what can we, how can we understand this? Well, you're right. The, uh, the church, the Catholic church in particular already does use this very verse to justify the, the giving away of indulgences. Um, you know, during the Dark Ages, Martin Luther protested they were selling indulgences. The first thing you'd ask, sometimes you almost have to come at it backwards to get the right answer. Is Jesus saying that humans forgive? We decide who is saved and who is lost. We decide who is forgiven and not forgiven. No, the Bible says God and God only can forgive sins. That's Mark chapter 2. And so really... The way that we are involved in forgiving sins is as we pass on the gospel or neglect to pass on the gospel, the keys of life are, are distributed or not distributed. And so uh, I think Pastor Ross looked like he was going to say something. Yes, I'm, I was going to add to that, Pastor. That you're right. Uh, the key to the kingdom isn't in the hand of a priest, but in reality, through what Christ has done, it's in the reach of everyone or anyone who chooses uh, if we believe 
So uh, in the work of evangelism, in the work of sharing our faith with others, we are helping people take hold of that key that brings everlasting life. And so there is a part that we have to play. Uh, Jesus said that we are to preach and teach, take the gospel to all the world as a witness to all nations. So there is a work, and it's an important work. It's a life-saving work, the work of evangelism and preaching the gospel. Yeah, and I think also Jesus is emphasizing for the disciples in a similar passage. He says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. He's saying that the, the work of spreading the gospel in the words of life is the power for people to find forgiveness or not through neglect of it or rejection of it, that what they did on earth was going to have consequences in heaven is, I think, a very important point. Good question, Anthony. And uh, I don't know, we have we have a book on that. We almost ought to get that question a lot. Yeah, not on that verse particularly, but uh, it's an important question. Uh, we've got Jerry listening in Dallas, Texas. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hey, pastors. Good evening. Hope your day is going well. I, I, well, I would like to give a little rebuttal to Charles' question, and it's a, a kind of like praise to God, if I may. If not, I'll go on with my original question. Well, if, yeah, if you make it quick. Okay. Um, you know, we serve a wonderful God, and for some reason, Satan would have been restored to his original position if he had repented. He did not require a blood sacrifice. That's right. Uh, I, yeah, and through the cross, of course, Jesus did for us. Right. Now, you had a question, too? Okay, yeah. Yeah, my question is, uh, when Jesus is when he is second coming, Christ is coming at the right hand of power, and we understand we understand that to be God. Where is the Holy Spirit mentioned in that? He is the most humble, humblest person of the Godhead. Is the Holy Spirit probably one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is, as with God, is omnipotent. He's omniscient and he's omnipresent, and so I believe the Holy Spirit. Um, being God the Spirit is everywhere. And so instead of saying, where is the Holy Spirit, it's almost better to say, where is not the Holy Spirit? God says, whither can you flee from my spirit? I think it's Psalm 137. Whither can you flee from my spirit? So he said, if you go to the bottom of the ocean, it's there. If you go to the uttermost parts of the earth, it's there. So the real question is, where is God's Spirit not at? He's everywhere. And so no doubt the Spirit will be with the Father. The Father and Son do seem to have a, geogra a geographic place where they abide. You know, we pray to our Father in heaven. And Jesus said, I go to my Father and your Father. And so it seems like he's got a body that has a location, whereas the Spirit is never confined to any particular body. You know, the verse you're referring to is Psalms 139, verse 39, 7, yeah. which uh, talks about that. You know, Pastor Doug, when you think about the Holy Spirit can be everywhere, um, it's not just talking about our world, but surely the Holy Spirit is also present throughout the universe. And we think about how big the universe is. So how big is God? <laughs> That's a remarkable thought when you think about it. There's no place you can go where the presence of God cannot find you. And uh, Absolutely. Thanks for your call, Jerry. We've got Noah listening in Illinois. Noah, welcome to the program. If you've got your radio on the background, it's going to confuse um, my question is, yeah. I have some stomach pain. You've got to turn off your radio in the background because you're going to hear yourself and get confused. You're on. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. So I have some stomach issues, and I want to know if there's anybody in the Bible that has, like, stomach digestive issues. 
when it comes to like digesting and dig- uh, digestion and all that. Yeah, there's probably a few people that uh, you can think of. I know that um, Paul said to Timothy, and Pastor Ross may have already looked that up. You want to read that? Yeah, First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty-three. Paul is writing a letter to young Timothy, and apparently he might have eaten something or got some kind of a bug, but he had an upset stomach. We don't know the details, but uh, he was telling him, this is Paul says, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. So apparently he had some stomach issue. And of course, back in those days, you always wonder how clean the water was that the people drank. A lot of drank. bacterial they problems. Could, they get pretty sick. So um, uh, almost like a medicine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's one person that we know of in the Bible, Noah, that had stomach problems and... Uh, it also says, I think, that uh, in Proverbs, he said, don't eat too much um, honey or it'll make your stomach bitter. Honey sweet in the mouth, you eat too much honey, you'll vomit. <laughs> and who was it that had digestion problems because he ate a book? That's right. John and Ezekiel, I think, both ate books that right. tasted good in their mouth, but that were bitter in, in their stomach. Their stomach. <laughs> yeah, Revelation 10. <laughs> so don't eat any books. By the way, a little, little amazing fact there was an Ethiopian king, Hali Selassie, I think. Oh, no, that was is the one before him. And he really believed that whenever he had a stomachache, if he would eat pages of the Bible, it would make him feel better. But when he got uh, much older, I think he was about 70, he got really sick, and he ate a whole book of the Bible, and uh, then he died. But <laughs> So that's not the best thing to do. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for your call. Uh, next caller that we have is uh, Hubert listening from Florida. Hubert, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thank you. And your question? Um, it says in latter times that in the in the flock there will be ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing that will scatter the flock. Um, can you tell me who the the flock is and who might be these ravenous wolves? Yeah, I think you're actually combining two verses, but you're correct. Uh, one is Paul speaking of, I think it's in the book of Acts. He says, after my departure, uh, ravenous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. And then Jesus is the one who said that um, you've got false teachers that are like wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, the flock is the church. It would be those who have accepted Christ and his word and they're his people. And the wolves, well, Satan, as the Bible says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light and that's second corinthians 11 i believe and so um, satan and his representatives will pretend to be christians will pretend to be christian leaders but they're taking advantage they're they're not wanting to save the flock they're devouring the flock like wolves there are some what we call prosperity preachers out there and all they do is they talk about how god is going to make the flock rich if they send uh, their ministry money and then these guys live uh, usually extravagant lives living off the sheep. And uh, that's an example of wolves that are uh, devouring the substance of the sheep. Pastor Ross? Yeah, a few verses uh, that Pastor Doug mentioned. You've got Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, where Jesus actually says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And then Matthew twenty four eleven it says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So there is a warning that we find in the Bible that in the last days in particular, there would be these false prophets or false preachers that would deceive a large number of people. And the Bible warns us we've got to test everything by the Bible. 
to the law, to the testimony? Do they speak according to this? Uh, we got another caller. Frank is listening in uh, the Netherlands. Frank, welcome to the program. Yes, hello. Hi, thank you for calling. Hi. Um, I had a question about uh, the, uh, Jesus uh, when he was on the cross. Was he left by the Holy Spirit? Good question. Um, I believe that when Christ, before he even got to the cross, by the way, I know it's not the Netherlands, but I was supposed to be in Norway, I think, next week, and of course, uh, flights have all been canceled, so I'm sorry I'm not coming to your neck of the woods. Um, anyway, back to your question. Um, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed the third time, Father, not my will, thy will be done, I believe that God withdrew his presence from Christ and Jesus experienced complete separation from God. Now, that would be God, the Father, and the Spirit. And um, I think that just like a lost person, he p paid the penalty for sin as though a person had grieved away the Holy Spirit. He looked at the second death. He kind of experienced facing the second death as the lost will. So I don't know what Pastor Ross thinks, but yeah, the God's verse, Spirit is everywhere, but I don't think Christ had the Spirit in him at that point. Yeah, we got the verse in Matthew twenty four forty six where Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we know that when Jesus is on the earth, he laid aside his divinity, so he went through life the same way we would have to go through life. He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit to reveal things to him. And if he cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It would appear that the Holy Spirit was pulled back or withdrawn for a period of time when Jesus was bearing the weight of the sins of the world. Yeah, and then I'm just thinking about that prophecy in Isaiah 53 where um, it says, uh, let me just, I'm looking and see if that word forsaken is in there. Um, I mean, you've got Psalm 22 verse 1, which of course Jesus right. was quoting from, where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah, I'm still looking here. So, yeah, I mean, he did pay the price of sin and bore the penalty. Remarkable thought. You know, the righteous never need to worry about being forsaken by God because of what Jesus did for them, whereas Christ was forsaken. Yeah, it says he was numbered with the transgressors mm. and bore the sin of many. And so he was treated as a transgressor. And I think the spirit was withdrawn. See, David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, because that's what happens when a person is lost. Uh, the Bible tells us the spirit of the Lord left King Saul. Jesus, I think, experienced that same lostness. Hey, friends, I hope that helps, Frank. Don't go away. We're just taking a break. This is our halftime break. Got some important announcements. We'll be back in just a moment with more of your calls. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real, relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships? When will Jesus come? And much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. 
The Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important, I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand because Jesus said eternal life comes from knowing God. Heroes are in short supply these days. We're talking about godly men and women who can show us how to live victoriously by faith. That's why Pastor Doug is presenting Inspiration, the Bible's greatest stories, live from March 11th through the 19th at the Las Vegas Paradise Church Auditorium, 4575 South Sand Hill Road at 7 p.m. Together, we'll learn from Scripture how to live for God in these troubled times. For more information, visit greateststories.org. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends. This is Bible Answers Live. We're glad that you've joined us. If you have a Bible question, just pick up your phone, give us a call, 800 800- this is North America, 800-463-7297, 800-463-7297. That's 800-GOD-SAYS-WITH-YOUR-PHONE-CALLS. And we get calls from all over the world lately. And uh, you're, we're also streaming, if you want to see visually what we're doing here in, in this studio. This is actually a preliminary studio, about 50 feet from where Pastor Ross and I are sitting uh, there's a beautiful studio being constructed where we're going to be having a bigger set for Bible Answers Live and be able to even have guests that come in and join us, and it'll be on network television. And so you'll be listening to and being able to watch and participate in Bible Answers Live. Now, just a little confession. If you're looking on the monitor, it's 150 degrees in Sacramento today, so I'm wearing shorts. I just saw my, my skinny legs were sneaking out from under the table. I'm sorry. But... Um, Anyway, it's still warm. <laughs> <laughs> now, Pastor, everyone's going to go to Facebook. That's, that now was that a trick. That comment. That, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they want to see what's going on over my... there. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, next yeah, I'm Doug Batchelor. This is Pastor <laughs> Ross, in case Ross. you haven't met us before. <laughs> We've got Diane listening not far away in Sacramento. Diane, welcome to the program. Thank you, gentlemen, for helping us with these questions we have. Really appreciate it. What my question entails is Exodus 2.12, where Moses, uh, it said, look this way and that when he was going to murder the Egyptian. Mm-hmm. And, and then he appears in the Transfiguration, which I'm wondering, um, 
you know, if he was forgiven for that uh, since he appeared there. And then Jesus is on the cross and says he forgives his murderers. Of course, the only sin, it says in the Bible, is blasphemy of the Spirit. And what my question is, is would this mean that committing suicide is forgiven, since it's a murder of, of a person? And the reason why I'm concerned about this is there's theologians who really seem to disagree on this, that these people are not forgiven, or they are forgiven, and there's a lot of uh, people in the Christian community that are very concerned about this. Are their loved ones right. forgiven? Are they in heaven? Very That's good question. question. Yeah, well stated. Um, and it is a difficult question, uh, Diane. There, um, Moses, you know, he committed murder. And yes, of course, he's forgiven. We do see him in heaven. David committed murder, and we'll see him in heaven. And, um, you know, and then there's others that apparently were forgiven, even Manasseh, who not only committed murder and murdered prophets, but, you know, he was involved in child sacrifice. But he repented, humbled himself greatly, and it says the Lord heard his prayer. So you may even see Manasseh in heaven. Uh, you got people like Nebuchadnezzar who turned to the Lord, and you're looking chapter 4, and he, he had the blood of whole armies on his hands. Uh, so um, now the question about suicide, since it's in a category of self-murder, you know, in most cases in the Bible, when a person commits suicide, uh, if the last act of your life is self-murder, it doesn't bode well. Now, I think you need to be very careful about saying that a suicide is always and automatically lost, because there are sometimes, I think, exceptional circumstances. Um, in the case of Samson, he really died by his own hand, but we expect to see him in heaven, according to Hebrews chapter 11, because... I think they were getting ready to kill Samson, and so the last act of his life was, he said, well, if I need to take out the enemies of God's people and die in the process, I'll do it. So it was something of a, a sacrifice as opposed to a suicide. Um, but I've known people who just lived godly lives, and in their last illness, their minds were not clear, either through medication or some chemical imbalance, and they did something reckless in a moment of pain or discouragement, and it took their life. And I, I'm, I doubt that God is going to judge their whole life of service by an impulsive act at the end that was because of either some mental handicap or chemical, you know, imbalance or some medication uh, that they were on. So um, I, I think God's going to look at the tenor of their lives and show mercy in those cases. So I think we need to be very careful. Now, when you're talking about suicide, every now and then I'll get some young person who's discouraged and they they just want to give up on life. So I've talked to, you know, some girl, she said, my boyfriend broke up with me and I want to die. Will God forgive me if I kill myself? I'm thinking, oh, heavens, you've got your whole life before you. And so you don't ever want to tell a young person in a situation like that, well, yeah, God will forgive a suicide because that sends the wrong signal to them. And at the same time, you have parents uh, or someone who they got a loved one or some relative that took their life and they are they saying is there no hope and you can't leave those people thinking there is never any hope in those circumstances so it is a difficult subject but in most cases I would say that if the last act of a person's life is self-murder and if you cannot be saved without faith and hope 
And suicide is usually an example of a person that has lost hope and faith that it typically is not going to end well. But there are exceptions. So hopefully that made sense, Diane. Well, yes. Thank you very much for that commentary, Pastor. I really appreciate it because, like I said, there's a lot of Christians who are very concerned about this subject. And um, Yeah, it's a real concern. It it is a real concern. Well, thank you. Good question. And it's probably something, I think I've got an article online. I do. I wrote an article on that that's in the Inside Report. If you go to the Amazing Facts website and just search a suicide, I think that um, that article will come up. It's not in a book yet, though. Next caller that we have is Chris listening from Florida. Chris, welcome to the program. Yes. Hello, pastors. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Get real close to your phone. Yes. Uh, I, I have a question about uh, if there is a distinction between physical human body and uh, and the soul. Because in, in the Gospel of Mark, it says, you know, what good does it is, is, is it when if the man gains the whole world and loses his soul? Yeah. And I have some friends that uh, actually believe that uh, the soul and the physical body is the same. So what is your, your view on that? Well, most of the time you experience your physical body uh, through your soul. In other words, if you don't have the spirit of life, you don't experience your body. Most of what we experience is in, you know, God gave us the breath of life. He took Adam from the dust of the ground, formed him, formed his body, breathed into that body, the breath of life. He became a living soul. And so typically a soul is a combination of the breath of life from God. And that word breath of life is the word spirit or roach is in Hebrew and Greek. It's a pneuma in Greek. It's where you get the word pneumatic or pneumonia. And um, that spirit of life comes from God. When a person dies, the spirit returns to God who gave it that breath of life. The body returns to the earth as it was. And the soul really stops. You stop experiencing life until the resurrection when God puts the spirit of who you are, your personality in that new body with the spirit of life. So I don't know if I just made that more complicated or not. You know, I think sometimes the word soul is used in the Bible to represent the mind, our character, our thoughts. Um, Obviously, when a person dies, they no longer think. uh, As The Bible says they're like they're sleeping. But when a person is asleep and they're awake, you know, they sort of ready to go. So in the resurrection, we will have our thoughts, our character. We will recognize one another. Um, So the soul would, yes, refers to the body, a living being, but it also, I think, has a a deeper application referring to the mind, the essence of our character, who we are. So thank you, Chris. Uh, You know, I think that lesson we have on Are the Dead Really Dead talks about what is a soul. Absolutely, and we'll send this to anyone who asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the uh, study guide. It's called Are the Dead Really Dead? And we'll get that in the mail and send it to you. If you're outside of North America, we encourage you to go to the Amazing Facts website, and you'll be able to read the study there. We also have a website called deathtruth.com that has a lot uh, additional resources and even some sermons available. So we encourage you to take a look at that. 
You know, Pastor Ross, we often offer the uh, study guide, Are the Dead Really Dead? But we have another free book at our website called Spirits of the Dead. And I think it also talks about the nature of the soul. And uh, the, they'll find that at the Amazing Facts website called Spirits of the Dead by Joe Cruz. Next caller that we have is uh, Valerie listening in Georgia. Valerie, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Okay, my question is about Enoch. I only learned recently that there was a book of Enoch, but it's not included in most translations, apparently because it's not inspired Word of God. I don't know if that's correct, but my question is, did Enoch really see into heaven as he describes in the book of Enoch, which was very descriptive and it, it, were the were the angels that he described the the good angels or the fallen angels? All right. Well, the book of Enoch um, is actually it's quoted. It it was probably written during the Babylonian captivity when the Jews were in Babylon to help them retain their identity. They called it the book of Enoch, but it was not written by Enoch because if you think about it, for a book of Enoch who lived before the flood to somehow be in the hands of the Jews. It would have had to have been passed on from Enoch to Noah to Shem to Abraham to Moses, so forth. I mean, it's it's pretty unlikely, uh, you know, that we don't even know if they were writing back before the flood. They had such copious memories that, you know, you don't really, I think the first time you hear writing mentioned is the book of Job. He talks about writing with a pen, of a diamond pen in a rock or something. Um, but the book of Enoch, there were some inspired statements in it that Jude quoted from. Um, you know, a lot of people in America quote from Ben Franklin, but Ben Franklin's not part of the Bible. You know, if you say uh, early to bed and early to rise, make you healthy, wealthy and wise. Well, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> you know, might a Bible writer, someone might quote that. I think even Paul quoted from some Greek poets and he quoted some snippets of truth. Doesn't mean all Greek poets were telling the truth or that it should be part of the Bible. So Jude quoted from the book of Enoch, but the book itself is not all inspired, but there were some passages in there that uh, Jude said were inspired. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's still a, an amazing book. Uh, I do think there's some theological problems in the book of Enoch that, um, if I remember right, but uh, the part that Jude quoted is good. All right, thanks for your call, Valerie. We've got Mike listening in Missouri. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you guys doing? Great. Every day is like the one before lately. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. What to, anyway, uh, my my question is in reference to Matthew chapter nine, verse two, and my question is: Was Jesus trying to appease? That's the main word of my question. The crowd by forgiving the man's sin first because. The crowd thought God thought that he deserved to be paralyzed because of, of his own personal sins or because of the sin of his parents. Yeah, this is talking about the paralytic, and you find this in Matthew 9, you find it in Mark 2, you find the story in Luke 5. Um, this man that is let down the, through the roof, he's obviously in bad shape physically because he has to get carried by four men to get to Jesus. So he's totally paralyzed. He can't walk or use crutches. And you would think the first thing Jesus would do is take care of the outer problem. But Christ was showing a priority by healing his physical, his spiritual problem first. Anytime Christ healed a person physically, it is always temporary. Uh, 
even Lazarus being raised from the dead, which is a very powerful healing when you think about it, he was raised from the dead until he got old and sick and died again. So every physical healing is temporary. Jesus healed people physically because he loved them to relieve them, but to also show God's ability to heal them forever through forgiveness. So with this man, he got the priorities in order where he said, first, your sins are forgiven. And I think that man was very happy just to hear his sins were forgiven. But then that the crowd might know that he had power to do the bigger miracle says, which is harder, forgiving sin or telling them to rise up and walk? But so you'll know that I have power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick man, take up your bed and walk. So the main reason Jesus did that miracle is to show that he can heal us spiritually. Whatever your sins are, friends, Jesus can save you from your sins and forgive your past sins, your guilt. That's the main thing, Mike, in that story. We've got uh, Joel listening in uh, North Carolina. Joel, welcome to the program. Hi, pastors. How are you guys doing? Good. We're glad you called. Thank you. Um, I have a question about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Okay, would you like me to read that? Um, if you don't mind, please. Not at all. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part is done away. Is that the part you want me to read? Yes, that was the part. Um, my, the one part that I'm a little confused by is I've asked a couple of people in my life about this verse, and they were saying that the gifts that are listed in verse 8, such as tongues and prophecy, are not for today because they say that when completeness comes in verse 10, that means that they the people that I've talked to have said that means the first coming of Jesus. And I've been reading and meditating on this verse recently, I was wondering if it would make sense since 1 Corinthians is written after the second coming, the first coming of Jesus, if what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians about when completeness comes is the second coming of Christ. You know, I would, and I think that you and I are on the same page that we agree, the gifts of the Spirit did not cease uh, after the days of the apostles. I, I've got some pastors that I am friends with of other churches and I would respectfully disagree with them. They think that all of the supernatural gifts of prophecy and healing and tongues all passed away with the apostles. But um, Christ says, and I'm trying to remember in Ephesians where Pastor Ross, you said, but uh, these things are for the uh, edification of the church until the fullness of all things. And so um, the gifts of the Spirit are still necessary all the way through the history of the church. Christ told the apostles, you will speak with other tongues. He said, uh, these miracles that I've done, greater things than these will you do. Uh, I've seen incredible miracles of healing. Now, I've not seen, you know, somebody missing an arm, have it pop back into place, or a person that was born blind suddenly see. But I think that God's spirit tends to come in waves through history. And I think it's a lack of faith to believe that before the second coming, the climax of all history, that God is not going to pour out his spirit and demonstrate miracles as he had before. Joel, is, is that uh, making sense? Yes, it is. Thank you very much, pastors. 
All right, thank you. And we do have a book have a about night. the Holy Spirit. You have a good night, and we'll be happy to send you that book called Life in the Spirit. The number to call for that is just 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line. Ask for the book called Life in the Spirit. We'll get that in the mail. You know, and we have, if Joel is listening, we actually also have a book called Understanding Tongues, where I talk more about spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues and how, though those gifts are sometimes misunderstood, all the gifts of the Spirit are still needed by the church, including the gift of tongues and prophecy and healing. So thank you. Appreciate your call, Joel. All right. Uh, the verse you're referring to, I think, Pastor Doug, is First uh, Corinthians 5 that talks about these gifts, and it says that the church might receive edification or be built up uh, in these different gifts. I think it's, uh, I'm also looking for one that says, and the unity of the faith, if we type that in here. Unity of the faith. See if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come. It talks about the need of the gifts of the spirits. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It says we need the gifts until we're there. We're not there yet. So the church will always need those gifts. Mm-hmm. All right. Next caller that we have is uh, Cassandra listening from California. Cassandra, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thank you. And your call, your question, rather. My question pertains to actually Hebrews ten twenty six, where it talks about deliberately going on sinning. And the backstory to that is that I was a young age raised in church, so I had a pretty good idea of right and wrong. But when I became an adult, I didn't make the right choices. And so now I'm trying to figured it all out again and I'm like do I get baptized again and like I'm like can I even be forgiven because of that one you know I can just tell listening I'm not I'm not God or the Holy Spirit but I can tell listening to your voice that the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and of course you can be forgiven that verse in Hebrews 10 26 that says if we sin willfully after we received a knowledge of the truth there remains no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking forward to of judgment. And people say, well, I knew the truth and I turned away. That means there's no more forgiveness. What Paul is saying there is if a person continues to live in a life of sin after they know the truth, God cannot save them if they persist in living in a life of sin. So I think I'm hearing you say, Cassandra, you are wanting to turn back to Jesus and live a new kind of life. Of course, you can be forgiven. Uh, The Bible says that whosoever comes to him, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. Uh, You know, Peter knew the truth, and he denied Christ, and God forgave him. David knew the truth. He was filled with the Spirit, and he he backslid in a major way with adultery and lying and murder, and God forgave him. And so um, I think that Hebrews 10.26 is talking about a person who persists in a life of sinful living, after they know the truth, God can't do anything more for them if they persist in that life. It says, yeah, if we sin willfully, that means if we're continuing in a high-handed sin against God, saying we're just not going to do what you want, what more can God do if a person makes that choice? So fortunately, you're alive, and I believe the door of mercy is open, and God is inviting you. He says, look, Jesus loves you, and he's eager to save you. He wants you to come to him. We do have a book, Cassandra, we want to tell you about. It's called Three Steps to Heaven. It's one of my favorite, and it just talks about the steps that we need to take to come back to God if we've drifted away. 
uh, what does it mean and uh, we'll be happy to send this to you for free all you'll have to do is just call our resource phone line that number is 800-835-6747 and again just ask for the book called three steps to heaven and we'll be happy to send it to you and uh uh, there's always hope, especially when the Holy Spirit is speaking to the heart of someone and they, they feel the prompting of the Spirit. We want to encourage people to make that positive decision for Christ. Thank you for your call. We've got uh, Andrew listening from Overland Park, Kansas. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hey, how, how you guys doing? Good. Thanks for calling. Yeah, so my question is, um, I wonder if you can explain the Leviathan and the Behemoth. And the Bible says that two more people are together talking about god he's there would that include something like this like over the internet too yeah i think so i think that uh if if we're together in god's name that uh, he's in our presence and even through the medium of radio or television i think god through his spirit he can of course be with us but back to your question about leviathan and behemoth these are two different creatures that are mentioned in the bible um Leviathan is some kind of a, a huge sea creature. But when you get to the book of Job, the, the Leviathan, ultimately it starts sounding like it is the devil. Some of the descriptions that are in the latter part of the book of Job and says, you know, who can pierce his scales? And it's almost like the, he's that dragon because the, the book of Job begins with Satan, uh, the accuser of the brethren. He's accusing Job at the end. Uh, Job's righteousness vindicates God and the Leviathan is sort of overthrown. But then there's another reference to a creature, the behemoth. And, you know, both of those terms today are used to describe a really big land beast, a really big sea beast. Uh, I went diving with our family in uh, the Caribbean and we saw the whale sharks and they call them the Leviathans of the deep because they're huge. A behemoth, some wonder if it was a d dinosaur because it, it's got big legs, but it says it's got a thick tail. It's not a hippo or a uh, elephant. Pastor mm -hmm. Ross is from Africa, so he can speak <laughs> to that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, the description given. it. Apparently it, it lived in a marshy area, ate reeds, but it says its, its legs are just like cedar trees and its tail is, is ginormous. Well, we don't have any animals today that have big, strong legs and a big, strong tail. So and uh, lives in a marshy area and eats reeds. So some have thought this could be referring to uh, a dinosaur that lived before the flood and uh, was destroyed with the flood. And, um, so yeah, that is an interesting reference. Yeah, it's still a mystery for most Bible scholars, but uh, I think it's one of the places where we can speculate a little bit. Hey, thank you for your question. We sure appreciate that, Andrew. And now we don't have time to do justice for it. We see Robert and Claudia, Irene, Laura, Eva, Craig, please give us a call next week. God willing, we're going to be here. The way the world's going, I think we're going to be here again next week and uh, answering your questions. And friends, in the meantime, stay close to Jesus and check out the Amazing Facts site. God bless. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.
Heroes are in short supply these days. We're talking about godly men and women who can show us how to live victoriously by faith. That's why Pastor Doug is presenting Inspiration, the Bible's greatest stories, live from March 11th through the 19th at the Las Vegas Paradise Church Auditorium, 4575 South Sand Hill Road at 7 p.m. Together, we'll learn from Scripture how to live for God in these troubled times. For more information, visit greateststories.org. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil, a rebellion in heaven, a mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation of evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save His children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. For thousands of years, man has worshipped God on the seventh day of the week. Now, each week, millions of people worship on the first day. What happened? Why did God create a day of rest? Does it really matter what day we worship? Who is behind this great shift? Discover the truth behind God's law and how it was changed. Visit SabbathTruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. 